to Working Wife, Happy Life. This is your host, Bethany Baines. Thanks for tuning in. We were on a bit of a release hiatus as the summer literally heated up here in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, We are back now with some excellent new episodes coming up. So thank you for sticking with us. I loved, loved, loved today's episode as our guest is a complete force whose primary goal is to champion girls' leadership and advance women in the workforce. Join Cool joins us to discuss the many struggles that girls and women face across generations through a systemic, pragmatic, informed, and empathetic lens. She's the author of two books, Dig Your Heels In, Navigate Corporate BS and Build the Company You Deserve, as well as Misunderstood Millennial Talent. After 14 years in the pharmaceutical industry, she launched Why Millennials Matter, The Cool Company, a training, research, and consulting company that focuses on raising awareness about the value of investing in the early career workforce and advancing women in the workplace in global corporations and business schools. She's also an international speaker, a hashtag she believes champion of the U.S. soccer organization, a contributor to Forbes Women and NBC Know Your Value, and she serves on the board of Girls Inc. of NYC. Together, we discussed what she calls the toxic trio of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and intentional invisibility. We discussed how her work with millennials made her realize that what they wanted is actually what women deserve, and how single women have shouldered so much responsibility throughout the pandemic. We also discussed the inequities in professional sports and so many other relevant and thought-provoking topics. I know this conversation will resonate with so many of you on many different levels. I truly hope you enjoy my wonderful conversation with Joan. My last name is Cool. I didn't know if that was ever confusing. People always are like, Cool, Cool. It's Cool. Oh my God, your last name is Cool. That's amazing. Joan Cool. Yeah. That is. It took me a while to accept it, but it's four well... words, four, four letters, four letters. It works. Wait, so is that is that your maiden name or a married name? No, my name? husband. My husband. Yeah, my married name. So it's pretty funny. I was Joan Snyder. And then, you know, but now, now my children have that name. You know, it's like the thing. Like, as yeah. you. The yeah. identity piece of it. And now it's just so easy. <laughs> it's so, first of all, it's an awesome name. It's a total <laughs> stage name, Joan Cool. And I, my, Baines is also my married name. So I was Bethany Santor growing up and then I went into Bethany Baines, but all my That's friends That's fun, like, BB. Sounds like a newscaster. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joan, welcome to Working Wife, Happy Life. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you. And we came, we met each other through a connection, a previous episode of ours with the ladies of UA Institute, uh, who run that fabulous school in Brooklyn. You came in to speak to right. their girls for International Women's Day. And Jen obviously introduced us because she thought you were incredible. So I love the full circle. Yes. I zoomed in to be with the girls and I'm so happy that the, that the students, the older students are back to school. It's obviously been a tough year for all of us, but, um, you know, younger girls are on my mind all the time. And so I'm glad that that brought us together. Yes. I mean, you do so much work in this space. It's hard for me to kind of 
pick where to start because there's so many different organizations, initiatives, movements that you're involved in, um, books that you've written, programs you're leading. Uh, can you share with our listeners? Because I, like I said, I don't even know where to start, uh, but I would love if you could share a bit of your background and, and the initiatives that you're guided by. Absolutely. And I will, I promise to get to the thread that connects all the dots, but you know, you nailed what my personality is too. So I am an author. I lead research and consulting initiatives um, all around two missions. One, advancing women in the workplace and building inclusive, equitable cultures. I do that inside global corporations. I do that in business schools, even community organizations. So my expertise is around gender and generation and those dynamics at work and beyond. And I'll come back and, and give you a little bit more about the why. So I did work in corporate America and I graduated from college for 14 years. I worked in the healthcare space, pharmaceuticals. And then I launched my company eight years ago. It's called Why Millennials Matter. I also launched the cool company. My last name's cool, Joan Cool. So I had to figure out how to use that some way, somehow. Um, and so to break them down on the generation front, um, I uh, when I launched my company, I became the career expert for Barnes Noble College, which they run the bookstore at the campus bookstore at over 750 colleges and universities mm. across the country, which means millions and millions of students. And so part of initially my mission was I really care about investing in early leadership and I could see all the friction between the generations and millennials. The word was like the zeitgeist then, 2007, right, 2008. And so with, with Barnes Noble College being their career expert, I traveled across the country. I'd be on college campuses in Texas and California and Ohio, running these workshops, helping students grow confidence and tactical skills about going from college to their career. I trained the store managers how to embrace and, you know, think positively about their younger employees. And then I would um, lead research with them to talk to executives. Um, the other piece of generation too, an opportunity I have was I was hired by Hearst Corporation and Associated Media to travel to South America and Africa to talk about what millennial women wanted and how mm. they wanted to spend their money and that connection to their values, their dreams and their desires. And that was like, that, I mean, you know, it was all amazing. I remember having, you know, coffee with Joanna Coles to the breathtaking view is, you know, in Buenos Aires to the breathtaking views in Cape Town. So you say all these stories as an entrepreneur and you get all the young people so excited. Well, guess what? I had a one-year-old. I was freaking out that I didn't have, you know, my equity and being in corporate America for 14 years, building this business and, and not really having this perfect business plan of where I wanted to go. I just knew what I was endlessly curious about and what I wanted to solve. So mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll pause right there, but then I can tell you more about the gender side, which is really you know 90% of my work right now. I, I love that phrase, <laughs> endlessly curious, and that you don't have this all figured out because I think there's this false... Um, and and maybe some of it is you know the the pinterest the instagram the filters the screens there's this false sense of perfection of figuring it out you know the inability to fail because you can fail so publicly now yes. and i love this notion of i did not have it all and and maybe do not have it all pulled together but i know what this driving force is and i know it's meaningful and i know it's significant and that's enough right so like definitely people that are waiting for it to be tied up in this pretty little bow until they do their thing, that's not the nope. thing. 
Yeah. No. And it constantly evolves. You know, when I was doing a lot of the big consulting engagements and research, I hired a big team. I thought I was going to build, you know, this, this, this really big company. Um, uh, but then things change and you have to flex and you have, and I, you know, have a family that I was raising. So, you know, what I discovered though, all the research I did, because I was also working with some of the most familiar companies from Johnson, Johnson, Goldman Sachs, you know, you name it on this generational dynamics. What I discovered literally within the first year and a half of my business is what millennials wanted was what women deserved and didn't have access or privilege to. Mm. And so in parallel, while I'm building this company about generations and really, you know, trying to talk about how we need to build a bridge and connect both legacy to the new fresh talent that you're recruiting, I was hired to lead a research project at the company that took a chance on me at 21 years old um, out of college, Eli Lilly and Company. And so uh, that project and over the years has blossomed so much because what they were trying to study is why women at a certain point in their career around the, like the director level would drop off in representation and engagement. So it's the endless story, you know, why don't we have women at the top? And they want, and I was, you know, not only was I familiar with the organization and, you know, the, the, the process, the politics, the business models, all of that, the people, but if you don't have women in, in view, if you don't have diverse talent at the top, you, you're absolutely not going to attract this next generation, engage them, attract them. And, and, you know, they see that drop down menu on the website. And if it's all a bunch of older white men, they don't believe you're walking the talk. Mm-hmm. So that's where I really started to see the parallels around, you know, gender and generation and wanted to study it more. And just, this is the part where I'll share with you how it connects the dots with this endless curiousness. Um, I, when you look back at your childhood, you know, my mom was a huge role model for me. And the first 10 years of our life, it was just the two of us. She raised me as a single mother, but she was so courageous about her career. She was an inner school teacher in Philadelphia and wanted more. And she decided she wanted to get her master's degree in business. And so she took two secretary jobs, you know, to work to do that. And she started logging miles in the sky, earning her pilot's license with me stacked up you know, next to her on telephone books, making the calls. And then she broke into the air traffic control industry. And you're working for the government, you know, very traditional male dominated industry, changed the trajectory really of our life at the time. We could move out of my grandparents' home, get our you know own apartment. And this new chapter of our life really began. She got, you know, uh, remarried. I was adopted. My dad is in my life. I have a sister. So, but watching her courage, and then she made this key decision. This goes back to our connection and Jen um, and um, the Institute for Girls and Girls Inc., which is she saw me with all this confidence and ambition at a young age, no idea what was going on around us, right? And Mm -hmm. she didn't know exactly how to get me to all those dreams. So she enrolled me in after-school leadership programs like the Girl Scouts and Hobie. And I would spend time with mentors that were professionals that could give me the advice, the tactical advice I needed to really get to that next step. And so for decades now, I've always volunteered and served on boards of organizations that not only serve girls, but really invest in early leadership. And that's 
you know, kind of the thread I always draw to why I was so passionate about starting a company that could shine a light and spotlight the talent I saw. I didn't see them as, you know, lazy or, 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 or entitled. I saw their quest for change and sustainability and, you know, true human connection and diversity. And that just wasn't getting the news media. And that wasn't invested in, in, in corporate America and in business schools. And then, you know, this piece about women, I am a working woman and a mother. And this, this, solves the part of attracting millennials too, is helping us rise and thrive. It's so interesting. I mean, the the notion, because I assume when you did the studies for millennials, and, and I'd love to talk because they get such a bad rep in the workplace. It's almost like a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. In right. Ways. Yeah. So yeah. And it feels strange. Like talking about yourself in the third person, millennials. Right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, what am I, Gen X? Mm-hmm. Gen Z, I don't know. I'm you were born, you know, before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're the latchkey mm-hmm. kids. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, so they get a bad rep. But what's interesting is when you, because I would love to hear more about like the, the study of this, this generation, because it sounds like you said something earlier that what they want is what women deserve. So you were yeah. looking at non-gender specific studies of this generation and then yep. the ability to kind of see, oh, these are all the same things we've been fighting for on the gender equality side. Is that a fair line to draw? Definitely. And, you know, I started to think about my own experiences at work and talking to my friends and also being in so many companies and so many schools and campuses around the world, you know, I'm in conversations about, are, you know, what are you dealing with on a daily basis? Um, and what I, you know, really found is that First of all, you've got this generation who almost half identify with a race or ethnicity that's non-white. So they're already going to be, you know, the most diverse. And again, they don't see themselves represented. We know um, that that's a turn that turns them away. The second piece is we've got a lot more working women in the workforce, working mothers. And so this is also a generation that had not only working mothers, but dual career households. And they themselves understand that they want a partner. And that dynamic has not yet really been embraced and um, progressed in corporate America is understanding Mm -hmm. there's two people that have, you know, professions, desires, demands, and the family dynamic. So, you know, when everybody was saying things about millennials living at home and talking about the data, the percentages of millennials that were living at home, they never sliced it to talk about how many it was multiple generations. I mean, that's a good thing. My goodness, through this pandemic, if I could have had my mom living with me, you know, with my, uh, my kids, I have a three and seven year old daughter. So it's just, it's all wrapped up in this quest that I have. Um, but Right now, I believe the biggest impact I can have through the work that I've done, the research and the clients that I work with now is advancing women, is helping them understand that they're not crazy, they're not alone, no matter what level that they're at. And, you know, being both, you know, tactical about what those skills are, but really relatable that right now everyone needs a sounding board and somebody that will get strategic with them about what to do next. I mean, that's why you know, I wrote Dig Your Heels In. So I do believe that helping women access higher level leadership, but also having their voice in the table, I always say, helping them be seen, heard, and valued. If you don't want to go to C-suite, that's fine. But your voice matters, our perspective. And if it's not on the table, even if you're an intern, then I don't see things changing to reflect our values. 
I I completely agree. And it's and there's something, you know, there's also this law of numbers where it's not just having one person at the table, it's having multiple. So now you don't become the woman's view or, you know, the the marginalized community view. You actually just have a point of view. And that's where I think we're going to see the most change once we reach that level so that you're not carrying the weight of an entire, you know, singular profile of an individual when you come to the table like oh has a woman given a seal of approval to this reorg it's like how on earth am I supposed to see every single corner case but when there's not a woman in that room let me tell you it's very obvious when this stuff rolls out that there wasn't and a woman of color and a woman of different ages and a woman with a different background a bit different education um the intersectionality is definitely a quest I'm constantly um striving to learn more about. I mean, you can see behind me the um, uh, the phrase lift as you climb. And that was one of the, the, the real mantras out of my book because, and we'll talk about that. I know we'll talk about allyship, but it really does make a difference. You, like you said, one in five women are the onlys in the room. And even if they have agency and they, they feel like they have this vision and sense of self, how many are pressured to conform and and how many could just not be great leaders when you have just that few people representative right. of who you are in those positions, you know, there's plenty of men that are jerks that are leaders and there can be women as well. It's just, you know, this is the, the this is the piece that we're trying to hack away at getting more and equal. And I love the, the notion that, you know, if you're, if you are one of those one in five as the onlys, the pressure to conform is significant. So then you have potentially leadership that is maybe lifting as they climb, but as they lift is saying, don't rock the boat. Definitely. And that's where I get really worried that we're going to, we're, we're so focused on the numbers, um, where there's also a lot of, uh, emphasis to be placed on diversity of thought. And, you know, just not having a head nod, but having a real voice, a real voice for change in that room. Um, I would love to like just unpacking some of the concepts within um, Dig Your Heels In. So I love the subtitle of the book. (laughs) Navigate corporate BS and build the company you deserve. Um, First of all, every word in that is so intentionally chosen, I'm sure. I'm sure it took months just to get to that. Um, but, but tell me about that, the company you deserve, right? Cause people see that word and talk about with millennials, right? People see that word in many different ways, not the company you want, not the company mm-hmm. you dream about the company you deserve. Tell me about that. Yeah. The intention with that. So the phrase even dig your heels in and, and the premise is about playing the long game, standing your ground. And when I say dig your heels in, it literally came from a phrase I kept using over and over again. I told you about the research project I was involved in where we were studying you know, thousands of women at a company from first level management to the, to the executive suite, what was in their way. And then I continued to go on and do trainings and workshops and consulting initiatives with a number of other companies and business schools. And what would happen is I would get close with the women involved. And when one day enough was enough, they had it, they're ready to walk out the door or come on, you know, another offer came that was double the salary, a bigger title. And I was a lot of times the, you know, the confidant that they called and said, what do I do about this? And I would listen knowing that that the place they want to go to where they see the grass is greener is also my client. So I know they're still dealing with these same problems over there. Um, And 
I would hear how many people, a woman, when she's deciding to leave a company, I always talk about this point, should I stay or should I go is, you know, one of the pieces of dig your heels in. She interviews with so many people and talks to so many people to get the job to leave, but doesn't talk to anybody at her organization. And no, it's also this lack of, um, permission to recognize her power there, right? Nobody knows, we were just talking about this before, the politics, the, the the process, the journey that you were on, you know, the pieces of the puzzle are so unique to your perspective. No one's better suited to actually lead change there in the way that you see it needs to be fixed than you. And so having the courage and the confidence and the connections, those three C's really break down a lot of my my, my work and how I pull together the research is, to help you start having those conversations and figure out the part of the organization you're in, that you can be a catalyst. And so the deserve part is, you know, you know, this working in corporate America and now living through a global pandemic, we are, our confidence is beat down. Mm -hmm. It is beat down. And confidence isn't this showy outward thing. Confidence inside is believing you can be yourself and still achieve everything you want. That's always mm -hmm. the definition we give to girls. And I recite it to, to women as well. So that's the part about deserve is that the company is a company. It's a bunch of humans that are flawed with a big process that have been doing this forever. And they designed it not for women. I don't even think they designed it for human. It's like manufacturing technique, you know, the, all, the, all these processes that are archaic. So you need to have a voice and some agency. You don't have to be the loudest either. That's the part about conforming and thinking you have to be this certain leadership archetype. And, and so that's really what inspired me to write the book and all of the work that I've done since. It's you're touching on so many things um, that I feel like, uh, you know, so fortunate to be able to have this conversation with you because I get to have it as a personal therapy session as well. Um, <laughs> you know, having been part of a, an organization that's now a huge company, um, for all these years, like you said, it's like, you know, the nooks and crannies, and sometimes the grass may seem greener because you don't know the nooks and crannies, you know, and yeah. sometimes there's a freedom in that or, or simply an ability to extract yourself from something that's become such a big part of, of who you are, if it's not yes. fulfilling or making you happy. Um, you also talk about these, um, the, this concept of, you know, the, um, toxic trio, the toxic trio. Yes. yes. Now I've heard about the first two I've heard about yeah. syndrome and I have some issues with it too. Cause I, I don't think it's definitely not just a gender specific thing. Although I do think yep. in some ways it maybe we over index cause we tend to over index on anxiety and depression and, and imposter syndrome and worse side effects from the COVID vaccine, all those things we get. Um, but uh, so I've heard of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, I think we talked about a little bit at the beginning, and intentional invisibility. This is the yeah. trio. Tell me all about all three of them. Yeah. And, and the background is that there are 10 career derailers that I use to explore in the workshops that I run and the global leadership programs um, that I will tell you about shortly. But those three, I have to start with those because when I said confidence, courage, connections, those are tightly tied to, to your confidence and even you know your agency and courage. So imposter syndrome, we know that's that self-doubt that creeps in, tells you you're not good enough. You don't deserve this. You're not smart enough. You shouldn't be in the room. That holds you back from taking action, raising your hand, speaking up. And how that's tied to confidence is the actual research on confidence says that you don't have to be born with it. Confidence is putting a thought into action. 
you know, I think that I, I really want to have more influence on this product team I'm a part of. Well, I'm going to try to speak up at the next meeting and you do it. And it's like, you know, a wheel that gets greased and you do more of it. So, so that's confidence. And then imposter syndrome is basically saying, you know, it's this, I always describe it as an evil inner DJ that's playing all your worst hits. So, you know, you failed at that thing. You weren't liked by that type of person. You don't get along with that type of person. It's just like, and especially at 2 a.m. for a lot of women, it's like having like a dance party. Um, so, you know, that, that is where when also, whenever I talk about the toxic trio, I'm so used to going right into what do you do about it? Because it's, it's heavy talking about these things and not being like, okay, what do I do about it? You don't ever get rid of imposter syndrome. It's probably narcissism. Um, but I think right. that what you, you do is, right. but it's cause it actually serves you, but you can get out of that cycle faster. If you have tools and resources in your back pocket, you know yourself well enough, you know, that negative playlist, you confront what they are, you can get through it faster to take that action. So it doesn't hold you back from those things you deserve. So that's imposter syndrome, how I describe it. Perfectionism, Oof, the pandemic really, um, fed off of, you know, our quest to be perfectionist and women tend to have more perfectionist behaviors. Oh, I forgot to say, cause you mentioned that about imposter syndrome, men and women have it. And, you know, I'm talking in binary terms, so it's the majority of my research, but, um, this is the problem. So even if men identify and they have that self-doubt too, sometimes it does when the world is doubting us as women, our competency, our capabilities, our capacity, and then we doubt ourselves, that's mm-hmm. not a good that's not a good place to be. So it's harder on us. The consequences are graver. So perfectionism. Right. So it's almost like, yeah, so go ahead. To unpack that for one quick second. Yeah. We could have the same script going on in our head, but the way the world receives us is completely different. And that's where there's kind of that gender differentiation. Yeah. You know, all the things, the likability mm-hmm. penalty, oh, yes. um, you know, all the affinity bias, I mean, and motherhood penalty, there's so many things. And so, and again, there's, this, what I have also the conversation too lately around imposter syndrome is about the fact that it's not fair because you're feeling like an imposter against like probably a racist, sexist archetype that's existed, that you're never going to fit the mold. That's why they always say, um, women, people of color, first generation college students, those that are breaking barriers, they, um, experience it the most, right? Because they're not seeing anybody doing what they did or having that opportunity or success. So, and so they're doubting, am I, am I allowed to be in this room? Am I good enough? Um, and this is just, oh gosh, there's so much stuff because I always think about this as a parent too, and how we can talk to kids. Obviously I have daughters and I think about girls and I sit on the board of Girls Inc. of New York, but I also just think about kids. How do we talk to them about these things earlier so they can spot it in themselves? Mm. The perfectionism. Remember, like all those color-coded charts that were floating around in April of last year, and everybody was homeschooling. Exactly what I was thinking about when you said that. Exactly <laughs> what I was thinking about. All the like Pinterest uh, and like the perfect like, and then from ten to ten fifteen is snack time, and then ten fifteen yep. to ten thirty is story time. Yep. And we yep. honestly set ourselves out for that because we were freaking out. Yeah, well, and it felt good to like have some box to check and some, some you know sense of structure. And then you know all the psychologists were saying structure, structure. We'll give kids, you know, no helping kids feel safe and enough. And you know, there's just I'm not a child psychologist, but I think there's other things. So, but what happened there too is 
you know, perfectionist, when we have that all or nothing mentality, we set such unrealistic expectations at work and at home. And then you think about all the roles we play, whether it is, you know, mother, daughter, sister, friend, neighbor, you know, whatever, you know, whatever community or religious organization, you know, we have put all this pressure to perform in all these roles. And one of the, the most challenging aspects of perfectionism is overthinking and overanalyzing and ruminating. So that's mm-hmm. the whole like, oh, you know, you can't stop thinking about that meeting, that Zoom meeting la- or that Google meetup last Tuesday where you started to ramble and you felt like Mark was looking at you like you maybe are in over your head. And, you know, Susan, you know, looked like she just like had it with you and was probably never going to engage with you ever again. And you couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I also teach women like how to disrupt those thoughts. Like it is not good. And then it, what they don't ever talk about, I feel like, is that the best friend of perfectionism is procrastination. You make that big, mm-hmm. that goal so big, you make those hurdles so high. Who wants to start that task? Who wants to do that? And and then you also just do so much comparison, comparison there, which we know is um, not good for us comparing to others, social media, real life, all of it. So those are the, those are the first two. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember, you know, going to this perfectionism point because it's funny. I always, uh, as an individual, I feel like I joke about, um, Sally Krawcheck once shared when I heard her speak that she's like a mediocre mom. I'm like, I can get on board with that. Like that is, (laughs) I feel so confident saying that And, and I, you know, can project that, but at the same rate, what you're saying is I know what my image of perfection is and thereby Mm -hmm. saying I'm a mediocre mom is, is that like mindset of, I'm I'm not going to be right there, but I'm going to be close and that's enough. But in my head, I know what the there is and that's where the 2am tick, 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 tick happens. And it's, it's, you know, even when I was younger, I remember reading all the studies of, you know, how girls would get more self-conscious or more upset or depressed. Second grade. Yeah, after looking at magazines or things like that. Well, think about it now with this barrage of content and filters and voiceovers and snippets and the ability to, there's even Instagram versus reality is like a trend to do that thing because of the point of how inaccurate it is to actual reality. Um, Yeah. But that's well, they whole... think that it, um, kids are exposed to 5,000 media impressions every day. And I remember hearing that from Simone um, Marion, who is the CEO and one of the co-founders of Girls Leadership, um, an amazing organization, and, and Rachel Simmons. Um, and so anyway, Simone said 5,000 a day. And then I started looking. I'd be like looking at the taxi cab, looking at everything. What is she seeing? What are they absorbing? What's going on? And that's when you just realize there's so much out of your control for as a parent. Well, there's the same for us. All those images are seeping in there. This is where I just think the perfectionism piece is about feeling enough, figuring out and really giving yourself the time and space to know like what your values are, what your priorities are. They're going to change mm-hmm. the time and super, super invest in the self-compassion. That's yeah. the biggest thing over this past year is that you're doing enough. You're doing your best. And some days you kill it at work. You suck at home. Some days like you're killing it at home and you feel like you got it all together. The lunches were made out the door. And then like, ah, I forgot I had a 9 a.m. Zoom and I'm still in my pajamas. You know, there's just, that's, that's, 
That's yeah. what I was hopeful about, you know, through the pandemic, that this was going to be a real win for um, flexibility and for humanity, and relatability. Um, but unfortunately, and I know I have to explain to you intentional invisibility, but, you know, jumping ahead, I'm just really disappointed how many executives I've talked to and said, you know, that's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm trying to find out all the trends, you know, what is everybody doing in terms of really, of course, supporting women, but making, you know, um, wellness, a true part of the organization. Nobody reset goals though. So great. Right. You give them more money to buy food. Um, they can take time off. You're forcing everybody to take time, but nobody reset goals. So that middle management, mm. just overwork epidemic is still roaring its ugly head. In fact, even worse, I think in some companies would say that 2020 and 2021 right now, they've never seen the demands this high in their organization. Yeah. So that's, that's super interesting. And we will get to the third one, but yeah. this is a really interesting thing to, to dig into because now that we are on the cusp of this, you know, global reopening, some countries faster than others. Right. Um, I think the biggest miss is going back to normal. That obviously yeah. wasn't sustainable. And like right. you said, we felt even more stressors, even more demands on our time personally and professionally during this time. Yeah. And so, you know, having that real intention about, you know, we went through the same thing. I, I think Google is very progressive in terms of supporting their employees. I think they're right. very progressive in terms of the programs um, that we put into place and allowing for those conversations to happen. Mm -hmm. But like you said, the goals are the goals. We are yeah. a publicly traded company. There's certain stuff that needs to get done. There's some stuff you can pull back on, but there wasn't necessarily this overarching. We we've we've grown up in this corporate world where 110 percent is the bare minimum. Yeah. In fact, right? they and for women. So think about like the biases we talked about already. Think about performance bias. The idea that women are judged by your proven performance, your past results. Prove to me that you're ready to do that job. I can hire you for that job. You're gonna hit the ground running. You're gonna have that promotion. Whereas men are judging their potential. We assume he has the results. How high can he go? So how that performance bias, and then you hear it in the language of some of my corporate clients, and I talk openly with their executives about saying you have to perform in the role before you're promoted to it. Okay, cool. I get it. If you're going to say universally, you're not going to put a woman from vice president to director in financial services or, or, you know, senior manager to director in, in healthcare um, until she can prove that she can handle those responsibilities at that level, please make sure that you're holding that bar up for everybody. Because humans in a room. I have sat in talent management discussions and you kind of know what I'm in there for. Very obvious from my bio. Right. I'm announced <laughs> at the beginning and they'll still talk about a woman. Well, you know, she, um, if we move her overseas right now, you know, her husband, he just took a new job. They have a small baby and they go into her entire personal life. And then they go to the guy next to them who also had a new baby. And it's just like, okay, I think he's ready to go. Let's get him there in three months. But they think, but people think they're being sensitive and compassionate around some situation. You're like, what? No. So, so that piece well, about corporate America is really tough. 
And I would argue maybe that man would want that same consideration. Maybe same. he doesn't exactly. want to his family. Maybe he lives across the street from his parents and is love watching his parents be able to engage with his baby and he doesn't want to relocate. Like everybody needs yes. the same consideration as well as the same information to make an informed choice. Oh, will this global experience help me to get to that next level? Well, great. My kids aren't even in school yet. Perfect. Let's yep. go. Right? So yeah. it's like... Those are the conversations that we're, we're not having. And I love that you're putting uh, such a stamp of um, validity to these things that people know to be true. It reminds me of the Bill Maher skit of, uh, I don't know for a fact, I just know it to be true. But this idea of like men, like they're going to do a great job. I'll coach them through it. They're going to be yeah. See so yeah. much of myself in them. Whereas the women, yep. it's like, so do this role for like six to 12 months. And then mm-hmm. if everything's going gangbusters, yeah. we're going to give you the pay to match it. And yes. Like, what? That, yeah. And that's also like that happened to my, my mom too. I mean, that really, really happens. And, you know, I, I just think that there is, there's, there's so much to this. I was going to share with you too, that I've um, conducted thousands of, not thousands, uh, like tons of studies over the past year during the pandemic, always any of my workshops, any of my engagements consulting, there's always a research component. And I'm really honestly doing that, not just because I'm a data geek, but because, well, data has power, right? And I want people to, to be armed with making that case for change. Um, but I'm really, that's how I get my, the stories. And then I can tailor what I talk about, whether it's a workshop or we work on it as an engagement. But what I want to share with you is one of the questions that I added going into 2021 is how would you, um, you know, what emotion would best describe your outlook for 2021? And so I have hundreds of women all over the world and basically every region answering. And then the top two, um, tied are determined and overwhelmed. So think about that. You've got this group that's like, but you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to get back in it. I'm going to figure things out, you know, for me personally, what I deserve, all of that. Um, and then the others, they're like, this is so much, I am at such a breaking point and I, I just can't even see through all of it. And sometimes that can happen in the course of a day, right? So days right. you wake I up say, and you're like, what? Same, same person. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so this part that's missing in, 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 in corporations, I know that was one of the questions that you had wanted to talk about is, you know, what could they, what could we do differently coming out of this? I am a deep believer in learning and development. I'm a deep believer that people don't just magically figure out how to tackle a situation. And sometimes life teaches us lessons that apply at work and vice versa. But nobody really taught us how to establish boundaries. And so, for example, like the conversations I have on a weekly basis with women, one last night, um, every night this week, I have women in the Asia Pacific region that, um, that, you know, I'm talking to and working with. And so they'll talk about, pushing back, right? Mm. So setting boundaries, but what if you come from a culture where humility, you know, is a value and, and you're, it's in a very authoritative command and control environment. How do you do that and not feel disrespectful? How do you do that in your own voice and not feel like you're conforming or changing? So that is a skill. I, it takes me a long time, you know, to really not a long time, but it takes me time and individual focus with women and groups and having them give the courage to each other. So, you know, the, the setting of boundaries, figuring 
figuring out what everyone's triggers are, there has to be a drop down menu of benefits and resources. People have different things going on. And what I really, you know, I obviously as a working parent, spending a lot of time with working parents, want there to be more resources. But please don't forget the single woman who the Bureau of Labor Statistics has always backed has worked the most hours. And she was who I was most worried about last summer. Like gives me chills. Like there were so many women that if they didn't have a human interruption behind them on camera, just took one for the team and took more hours and worked later. And, you know, they're burnt out and nobody. Hallelujah. Yes. yes. And then I, I always thought it was very fascinating in research that women don't actually leave at the most obvious points, like after they have a baby or, you know, when they're not getting promoted, a lot leave after they get the promotion. You know why? Because there's no surround sound support for her to say like, okay, you just got this responsibility. We, we made you jump through all these hoops to get there. So there's a lot of attention, momentum, and like kind of adrenaline. And then you get this big job. Nobody's helping you thrive the politics, the people, the relationships. Um, it's just, it's fascinating. I and mean, that's the thing where I'm constantly looking at how we crack this case and both the overwork epidemic, but how we're not really thinking about the whole person at work. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I love that you highlighted single women because I know so many women within my community at Google that were in that same boat. And you know what? They raised their hand for everything because, like you said, the goals didn't get adjusted and they had empathy for their counterparts who were struggling with, you know, taking care of, of the people within their home. Um, but these women were also shouldering the burden of worrying about their parents or grocery shopping for their neighbors or doing booking the goddamn vaccine appointments. Like they were doing all of this stuff yes. on top without the same considerations that their counterparts with with families were getting. And um, they really yeah. did shoulder quite a burden. Um, I want to get to the third piece. Oh, so yes. let's talk about this intentional invisibility. What is that? Well, and it's funny when I was looking for a term um, to really, you know, round out where I was also seeing as a tripwire for women around their confidence and their sense of agency. There's also there's the curse of the good girl. So the 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 fact that we are restricted since we are girls about how we behave, what we do, how we say, how we react, and it shows up in the workplace. So and that ties into intentional visibility. This is basically describing the fact that you know you should ask for more you know you should push back you know that you know and you're not being treated equally or you deserve more situation and you choose to put your head down you choose to just you know not ruffle feathers because maybe you've got a bunch going on in your personal life maybe your mom is sick and going through treatments maybe you know there's a lot going on with your partner's job and it's demanding in the home maybe it's a pandemic you know and you don't feel like having conflict at work um so there's all these reasons that women tell me why they choose to be kind of invisible and what it is 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 also choosing not to push back on the expectations mm-hmm. about how girls, women should behave. You know, we know that we're liked less as we assert our ambition, are aggressive and are more successful. So it's like choosing, but you know what happens? Maybe those women are more well-liked, but I can count, I can, I could bet that they are underappreciated. They're overlooked for promotions. And let's be honest, they're definitely underpaid. So that's, what's tough is that helping her find her voice is so important and feeling that she doesn't have to 
act astray to her values. This is what women that, you know, expanding my business globally and really working very deeply with women in the, the you know, Asia Pacific region, across Europe, across South America, like it's really talking about like why that self-advocacy, why self-promotion, having a narrative at work, you know, all those things that they have to do, mm-hmm. um, why that's so there just hasn't been the language for them is that they don't want to brag. They don't want this over the top thing. And so where I feel like I've made progress is talking about the fact that number one, they really do want meaning and impact, right? We really want to help other lift other women up or like, we want to be part of a business that, you know, we're doing something, our day-to-day work matters. But if no one knows your strengths, If no one has any idea the thing that you know, how can they leverage it? And so it's Mm. kind of how you talk about it. So it's it's more like this journey of how do we talk to more people from this very orientation of of meaning and making a difference, but being up but saying, you know, I I have a strength in problem solving and I leveraged it on the last team I was a part of. We were up against a tight deadline. We had a really um, high priority client that was, you know, pretty short with us. And this is what I did. Maybe this is something I can do with this team as well well. So that's where, you know, I'm really spending a lot of time is helping women talk about themselves in different settings and environments in a way that feels like themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's storytelling. It reminded me, I I saw, I don't know if it was a meme or what, but it just said, be careful of the stories you tell about yourself. Right. And it's that idea of, yes, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say with girls and women too, I have to also in that piece, talk to them about deflecting praise and, you know, saying things like the self-deprecating humor and, and all those deflection points. Oh, it was nothing. Anybody could have done it. No, thank you. Thanks for noticing. I'm really proud of it too. Like just even those phrases, that's how we get tactical and just don't talk about these topics up here. And I've got women putting post-it notes on their computers and I have it too. I have post-it notes all over mine for different things. We, we need that to like keep our brain on, on, on track. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's, it's I'll show you pervasive. all my post-it notes I'm taking of our conversation. <laughs> and I, it's, I'm, I'm old school. I put it on top of a giant five, five subject notebook, but um that it's such a, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours because there's so much here. There's so much that you've uncovered in everything that you do. I, I do want to talk. I want to cover a, a couple more topics with you. I want to talk about allyship um, because you do a lot of work in this space. And I think this is really important for women to hear. Um, and then I would love to uh, hear about the work you're doing Sports. with the U.S. Soccer League. Yes. So let's let's get to those. Okay, so let's talk about allyship. And, you know, for me, what um, I spend a lot of time on is this program called Stay to Lead, and it's a global female advancement retention program. The cohort is no more than 16 women at a time. They're typically from one organization, but different divisions, different parts around that middle management level, vice president, director of financial services, kind of what I talked about before at, at other companies, middle management. Um, and, Having them in a smaller group and doing breakouts and doing all those things is because I believe one of the biggest ways we can change the narrative about women in the workplace and start to rise and thrive is our relationships with our peers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
there are all sorts of points of obvious connection, maybe connecting with somebody that just had a baby and you had a baby. Okay. But then there's also like somebody that had a bad review last year and is trying to build up the endurance to get through this year. And so when I can find those connection points about raw work-related and even outside of work-related experiences and remind women to not let their perfectionism invade their you know, ability to feel like this is a true connection. You don't have to talk, become best friends. You have to talk to them every single day. But this is also a great way for them to self-advocate because if they share with each other their strengths, their experiences, you're planting seeds throughout your company. And then you, know, you can do that in these global organizations and really start to build like a massive movement of women that are connecting with each other, remembering each other, thinking of each other, leaning on each other in a very genuine mm-hmm. um meaningful way. And you can do it virtually with industries. When you have sports, I worked with women in construction and asphalt all over the place. Um, Transportation, they don't have a group big enough for even 16 or 18. So then you have to help them find women around the country, around the world in that. And that's magic too. But, you know, this is what I do 24-7, right? Not 24-7 because I do rest and I have time for my kids and everything. But this is this is my endless curiosity about this. And I do just wish that this was built into the functions of more companies that they cared about that. So, yes, I think that that's going to change everything is really women, um, our connection and, and, and lifting each other as, you know, we climb. And there's there's such power in voices, right? There's such power. I mean, I... I am learning from the community at Google with breadwinning women every single day, um, learning what it means to be a breadwinning woman, learning, you know, things I hadn't even considered about developing side hustles, about um, language. We had a big thread on the use of the word guys in, in our vernacular. Interesting. Um, Yeah. We talk about, you know, why saying you look so young is not a compliment in the workplace. Like those types of things that we are all bringing with us. And when you bring it to bear, it may not be an issue I have. Right. Uh, no one tells me I look so young. Maybe not issues I have, but now I'm sensitive to them. And now yes, I'm keeping an ear out for them. And now I'm there to support and understand more. So it's like, you build more power by sharing that story and by connecting with one another. Um, and I think it's a really uh, moving thing that it's also hard because talk about this list of things that women have to do when it comes to yeah. their careers and managing everything and all those expectations. Now we also have to plug into these networks, right? And so I think the more yes. that we don't think about it as a thing to do, but a place to be, right? And yes. a way to be is, is, you know, versus putting something on your plate. I know people have like almost a reminder on their calendar, like network more. And it's like, (sighs) you know, find the meaning there, find the drive where it's not work. It's, it's that it's, it's almost how you survive. Well, I mean, there's positive psychology pieces of this as well. With you know, I talk to the women once they make the connection um, and stay the lead about following up with each other. Whether it's a note to say, "Hey, how are you?" You know, I just thought of you today. I remember that great conversation that we had, and that puts us in a gratitude mindset. And we know that one of the um, you know antidotes to stress and anxiety is is gratitude. Um, and so, what I also wanted to say that I didn't say earlier is even though, you know, I do a lot of workshops, majority of them are with groups of women. I'm still also training executives, groups of majority male rooms and men and women together. 
to just talk realistically about, I find that with men, um, it has to be more situation based for me to really break through. So, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about meetings where you spend the majority of your time uh, in companies, whether they're in person or now virtual, what are the dynamics that, that limit voice? And maybe it's not just gender, it's introverts versus extroverts. So that's really important because this is not all on her. I want her to feel empowered, that there are tools and resources so she can feel back in control and she can get clear on what she deserves. And that, that, that just, that really changes like your internal chemistry and you're role modeling it for so many people that you don't even realize are watching, but it is a, it is, is a company, there are processes. And so that's where you have to be working at and of all sides, which is why my work is all over the place. Cause I'm still trying to figure out, you know, once I, identify a client and we start to make movement with, you know, the women and where they're going and also getting the right leadership and helping them like have a true realistic lens on what's happening and what to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's systemic, right? It's not, there's not going to be a silver bullet. There's not a course you can take and mark it off on your quarterly goals that it's done and done. Uh, So, so briefly, can you share your work with soccer? Yeah. So were you a soccer player? Is this part of your background? I love that. Like, this is like, it's how to like share, you know, who I am. I did not grow up identifying as an athlete. I played soccer. I played baseball. I'm pretty sure I scored in the opposite team's goal in basketball. Like we definitely (laughs) tried really hard. I was much better at the business geek stuff, like DECA and future business leaders of America. I love the teen spirit piece. I was in the future business leaders (gasps) of America organization. I love that stuff. I mean, I'm somebody that ran for, you know, student government president in college. I ate up the leadership piece. Like that's where I was a junkie, that kind of business. So with sports though, where I identified that it became a real intimidation factor, it was starting off in sales and in business. And I, I tell this story that I remember memorizing golf jokes and everybody was laughing really hard, all the, the, the male clients. And then they asked me a follow-up question that had to do with the sport. And I was like, I have no, I have no idea. And I just remember that moment of being 21 years old, being like, why did I think I needed to do that? And so fast forward, you know, I, um, was, uh, connected to the the New York Mets was the first, uh, sports organization I worked with because an amazing leader, Holly Linval, who is their, their chief human resource officer. And it was around the generation piece, like helping them solve for that, but also getting to know women in sports through her being such a high ranking woman in sports who did grow up loving baseball. And then that connection led to other sports, you know, leaders and organizations. And with us soccer, they have this movement called she believes it started by the U S women's national team. That was really a chant about equal pay and, you know, advocating for what they deserved. And she believes is all about, is really, you know, helping women and girls on and off the field to achieve their Mm -hmm. dreams. And so over the past three years, I've helped them develop a curriculum around it. That is of course online, but also we would do it events at Nike. We, and it wasn't just about the incredible players on the soccer team, but it was other players across different sports, but also the leaders behind it. And, and how I'll tie this together and connect some dots is remember, I was so intimidated by sports. I am so in love with the U.S. women's soccer team. You know, the fact that my daughter and my nephew can wear their jerseys, a woman's jersey on their back. And 
that was because I got to know the stories of the players. And so women's sports, I mean, they would stand there for hours after the games talking to fans. And there's just, there's so much there. And I remember learning from Kathy Engelbert, who is the, the commissioner for the WNBA, fighting for equal pay, all these you know incredible progressive advances. She said that uh, 5%, make sure I get this right. I think it's somewhere, let's just say it's in the single digits percentage of uh, 5% of, of actual sports coverage, advertising, media coverage. What you see on the screen is for women's sports and less than 2% of corporate sponsorship that goes to sports goes to women's sports. Follow the dollar. So when I'm giving you know workshops to executive men, I'm showing pictures of women in sports. I'm telling stories about working with Kim Ang um, when she was at Major League Baseball, when now she's the first ever woman in Asian American to be uh, you know, um, leading a, a professional baseball team. So when you, when you put that out there and you help more people watch women's sports, it, it like it it's part of this universe of every, all the mm -hmm. progress we're trying to make. Um, but yes, I try to make everyone that crosses my path, a U.S. women's um, national team fan. And of course, like having women all over the world, they, that's tough. Well, <laughs> but I mean, you, Bethany. Yes, no, but, and, and there, and there, there's a moment now in sports, right? There's the, the viral video of the WNBA's uh, workout room during yeah. the championships. There's the, you know, obviously the fight for equal pay with the women's soccer league, but what you're describing in terms of the corporate dollars, um, the media coverage is the, the statistics are almost identical to VC funding, to representation yes, at totally. sea level, to representation right. on right. boards. Like, so what, right. what I love about everything you're doing is you are you are getting your fingers in each of the pieces because you realize they're all combining to the same issue. And that's how we dismantle systemic inequities is that right. you really have to engage in all of the different aspects of the conversation and that you're doing this at scale within organizations, um, with, with your outreach into communities that are feeling marginalized and potentially feeling hopeless to make sure that they know they have an advocate that is in these rooms that is sitting there during talent reviews. Um, and it is hero's work. And this is going to be a lot of paving the way for the generations to come versus something that we might see, you know, in our own experience. Yeah, it's heavy. I, I, yeah. I get absolutely angry about, you know, what these women that, you know, I, I also, it's my personality, right? I get close. I get attached. I, I think, oh my gosh, you know, this is insane that she's going through this what's going. And, but then it's my job to, to think big picture and think tactically and think realistically and be real world about what she can handle and what else we can think about, who else we can get in her corner you know, and just, you know, one quick other side sports story. I remember meeting Jess McDonald, who is one of our, our national women's players that was played in the, in our fourth winning world cup in, in France in 2019. And we were at UNC cause she plays for, she played for the, the NC courage, which is the local club sport team there. And we were both speaking at an event we were talking and we have kids the same age, her son um, and my daughter, my oldest daughter. And she's the most traded, she was like the most traded player across um, all, uh, basically at the club level, which means she had to uproot her son so many times. And in the summers, she told me between um, playing for the national team, because of those earnings, she was boxing, she was packaging boxes for Amazon. I mean, 
this is someone who like you, we glamorize what we think is going on for them, but we have to get real and understand like what is, what they're really going through. Just like that's what it's in business. It's in sports. It's in politics. You know, you think about the pay it's in education. It's everywhere. And I think that's why I like to understand all those different worlds. And it makes sense in my head (laughs) from from business plan perspective. It's strange, but um, I, I just think that it, it helps me create more of those allies. Yes. And and I love the reality check that there's days where you just get angry, right? It's like Gloria yeah. Steinem said, the truth will set you free, but first it's going to piss you off, right? Totally. Absolutely. I have those days where it's, you know, it's, it's not imposter syndrome, it's exhaustion. It's just like yes. this exhaustion of, you know, is any of this making a difference? But I think mm-hmm. the work that you're doing and the intention that you're putting out there and the humanity with which you do it is so meaningful. I'm so honored to have had this conversation with you. And and I feel like we can probably do separate recordings on all of your different initiatives. Um, and I can't wait to collaborate with you more in the future. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Bethany. Thank you for what you're doing to lift up all of our voices and our work too. Yeah. And thank you for the time. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm.